What is up, party people? We got a podcast coming at you today, a really exciting one for you. Um, Glenn Mathewson from Building Code College found him on TikTok and just sharing a bunch of great info, which we will get to. But um, yeah, really, really great stuff. For today's episode, it is sponsored by RoomLayoutGuide.com. That's right. It's a document I put together. So one of the biggest stressors in any building project is deciding on a layout, or worse yet, picking the wrong layout altogether. All the back and forth wastes everyone's time and money, but we don't have to reinvent the wheel. I've condensed 20 years of my residential design experience into one power-packed resource, the Ultimate Room Layout Guide. It has over 40 expertly designed rooms so that you can save money dialing in your layouts. Borrow from it, use it to guide conversations, or give you new ideas. The layouts show both luxury options that won't break the bank and also economical options for tight spaces. It's available in two forms, PDF for viewing and DWG for direct insert into your desired CAD software. Get it now at roomlayoutguide.com. All right, let's get to the show. Hello, welcome in. I have with me today, Glenn Matthewson. For those of you that have been around TikTok in the, the, the building world. You've probably seen one of his here or there. Um, this is a, a code master. Can we, can we call you that? <laughs> um, Glenn, tell me a little bit about what you do and um, how you got here. Yeah, thanks, Adam, for having me on. Uh, I, am, I am a building code educator and consultant um, now. That comes from 13 years of being a building inspector and some time as a plans analyst um, for a building department. And, you know, I started sort of on the side teaching and writing about code back in 2006. And, um, but in 2018, I left the government work and uh, just became full-time independent consultant and educator uh, in building codes. And then when I say building codes, that's a very generic term um, to cover, you know, your plumbing codes, your electrical codes, mechanical codes. And I really specialize in residential applications. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, so one thing I really love about your content is just how it's code can be really divisive, but you're not divisive with it. You're just like, hey, this is this is what the books say. We could talk about why, you know, we got to this point, but this is what it says. I really appreciate that. But where I wanted to start is like the code gets such a bad rap. Like it's it's the the ultimate bad. It's kind of like general contractors, right? Like nobody's got a high opinion of it. <laughs> um but what's what's really interesting from my end, so I am a home designer, not an architect, don't have a license. And what's cool is the code is something that allows me to do work in most states because what I don't think a lot of people realize is the residential code book is a lot like a um, instruction manual. Like it tells you how to put together a house down to room size and how much size you need for a toilet and, and all that. If you look at the commercial code book, it's not like that at all. Um, and so I, I wanted to just get your thoughts on why the code is a good thing and not a bad thing. Um, and I might be opening a can of worms here, but I, I'd love to hear from you at least. Yeah. Off the top. Yeah. I mean, that's something you are opening a can of worms because I have a lot to share and to say about that. Um, it's, it's something I am very passionate about. I mean, to be on an app like TikTok teaching building codes, um, you 
you've obviously got to have a different mission in mind than anything that we've really seen in building codes. And what I mean by that is building codes are so associated with government. When you talk to the public, when you talk to contractors, when you talk to homeowners, when you talk to just the public, designers, professionals like yourself, so many folks, as soon as I say codes, their thought immediately goes to government rules, satisfying an inspector, being forced to do something that they may not believe they need to do, or maybe they believe is beneath them, or maybe they believe it's corrupt and there's some sort of lobbyists and this, you know, this whole secret society behind it all. And that is where all of the contention, what I see comes from building codes in the public is there's no value to building codes other than some bar, some mark, some, you know, hurdle you have to get through to satisfy the government. And so that creates all that negativity. And you hit the nail right on the head of what people, because of that, they don't learn the code for themselves. They only learn, imagine if the only way you learned something was by taking exams over and over and over again, pass or fail, pass or fail, but you're never actually introduced to the material. You're just tested on it because that's what an inspection basically is it's just yeah, like yeah. Final exam. and so many people leave that as their method of learning but all you're learning there are you know essentially what you can't do or how maybe you haven't followed the instructions correctly and so here's the thing with the irc i like to split it into two concepts you have mandatory provisions and almost all of those live in chapter three, building planning chapter, you know, like mm -hmm. mandatory room sizes. You can't be less than a certain size or you can't have a ceiling height less than this or your stair geometry has to be this. Another part of that mandatory requirement is you must resist all of the loads that come down on a building and transfer them to the ground. Snow loads and wind loads and live loads and dead loads. And that's what's mandatory, right? You have to have guards 36 inches high. You have to have stairs in this design. You have to resist all of the loads without exceeding these deflection limits, right? Because we know everything moves a little bit. Yeah. Now, how do you want to do that? It's completely your free choice as a, as a free person, you know, in, in the U.S. where the I codes are primarily adopted. The code doesn't say you have to use wood frame construction and follow these rules in the code for wood frame construction. The code provides rules for um, insulated concrete forms, for steel, for, for concrete, for masonry. There's appendix chapters in the back with recipes for cob construction and straw bale construction. How would you, as the free thinking, free choosing American, how would you like to transfer the loads to the ground? Well, most people don't think about it that way. They go, well, I'm gonna do wood frame construction. That's pretty typical. And the code makes me do it this way, this way, this way, maximum you know, stud heights and maximum spans of floor joists. Well, no, the code isn't saying you have to do it that way. You chose to use the recipe for wood frame construction in the code. That was your free choice. And now all the inspector is doing is holding you to the recipe. Um, what you could use an engineer, you could use tested products, um, composite decking for decks, for example. You know, the code has 
has a recipe for wood decking, but hey, maybe you want to use a manufactured product. Um, and so people don't often look at it that way, that when it comes to structural design, the only thing mandatory is that you resist the loads within the deflection limits. And, and then beyond that, it's a gift. The code is giving you, all of us, free professional design that's put into tabular forms. It's going to be limited. It's kind of like one size fits all, right? Um, you're going to make green bean casserole kind of recipe, right? Basic yeah. home construction, basic meals in that analogy. Uh, anyway, so it's such a delight to hear someone like you say that and recognize that and say, yeah, you can be a professional designer by helping people utilizing the prescriptive designs that we can all use and that are getting um, more and more complicated. You know, oftentimes people see how the code is growing. It's, yeah. it's grown, it's doubled in page count in the last two decades, but that's really, wow. Yeah. It went from <laughs> 560 something pages in 2000. It's up to over 1100 pages. But what people think is that's, that's, uh, you know, 500 more pages of rules and restrictions and negativity from the government when actually it's no, it's more recipes. There's more ways now that you can build and just follow the instructions. Um, and that's what people don't often realize. Yeah, that's super interesting. One thing you brought up um, is I've actually always wondered this. So I know the code, like how do specifically the structural components get engineered? Like, are there engineers that are consultants for the code book that say, okay, this, you know, when you generate span tables and, you know, all that, um, yeah. Yeah, so the code development process through ICC is wide open. Anybody and everybody can attend and participate. There are no fees. There are no qualifications in advance that you have to prove. Uh, anybody from the comfort of their home can write a code proposal, submit it through the internet process, show up to the hearings, and testify to what they believe the code should be. So you get all kinds of folks. You get building officials who's a lot of the building departments across this country recognize the importance of the building officials, the inspectors, the plan reviewers, the people actually going into the private backyards and, and kitchen remodels of our fellow Americans that really understand where the rubber re meets the road. What a critical perspective to have in developing the future rules recommended to governments for adoption. And so a lot of these building departments part of sort of their duty and their profession is they will support their staff members going and attending these hearings. Um, because again, it, it's, it's kind of an obligation of the profession. Then you also have ICC chapters, like local organizations of code officials, like I'm wearing my shirt, the Colorado chapter. We have a big committee group uh, that will attend the hearings and our chapter will provide scholarships and funding to help offset the costs of going. But then you can also just have anyone from the public. Uh, you know, unfortunately, not enough contractors and tradespeople um, participate, which I'd really like to see more of, because like the building inspector, they are right there trying to truly satisfy the needs of our neighbors and, and fellow Americans. Um, often they kind of participate by contributing to nonprofit organizations like the North American Deck and Railing Association, um, they have members that are deck builders as well as other folks in the deck industry. And I represent them as a consultant, as a professional. So I will take the voice of the deck industry 
and then take that to the hearings, kind of bringing in the voice of the deck builders. But you've got groups like the American Wood Council, for example. Um, they have been excellent contributors to developing the code because they're a nonprofit organization focused on wood. So they wanna help support the use of wood in construction and the correct use of wood. And if you can lower the design costs by not requiring people to get engineers and folks can use wood more easily with a recipe, well, that's good for their for what they represent, wood. So American Wood Council has engineers on staff and they do a ton of that engineering and putting together these prescriptive sort of pre-engineered design tables. Um, they helped assist NADRA and a bunch of us in developing a lot of the deck codes that have come in recently. They're very involved with like the braced wall panels, just lots of stuff. Um, so you yeah. have organizations like that, American Wood Protection Association, you know, they're involved with treating wood. And so they will bring that information to the hearings. Um, and then you even have engineering firms. Like I worked with a couple private engineers. And again, I think it's just that next level of professional. These professional engineers that I've worked with and the firms that they are employed by, they believe that they have a duty, they have an ethical obligation to their profession to give back to the community a little bit, to help support the growth and the accuracy and um, just, to, just to, to support their engineering industry. And so with that, they will you know, put forth a charity, if you will, um, participating in codes. And so that's one of the beautiful things is, you know, so many folks just think code development's all done by lobbyists and stuff. And, and I get, you could say, yeah, those folks are there. Like I represent the deck industry. So am I gonna be bringing code proposals forward that only protect and benefit the deck industry? Um, well, no, I won't, but yes, there are folks that play that way. But guess what? It's a wide open process. So you get pretty noticed pretty quickly if you're self-serving because someone's gonna come up and provide opposition testimony to say, you know, how does this serve the end user of the code? Um, so there's really not as much like dirtiness that the public tends to think um, that's that's happening at the code development hearings. Um, it's all wide open for anyone and everyone to see and participate. That's really interesting. I I didn't know. I've I started when I was sixteen, so I've been doing this for about twenty years. Um, I didn't know the code process was open until I saw it on one of your TikToks. I'm like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> you know, like I just I don't think it's a thing that a lot of builders, designers, architects. Whoever, I don't think it's a thing a lot of people think about. I no. think the code is just there and whatever version our state's using, that's what we're dealing with. And um, yeah, it's it really makes me rethink a lot of things when you know you could just show up and voice your yeah. opinion on it. Well, um, and there's two places you can do that because remember what I'm speaking to is developing the recommendations to governments. This is before governments get their hands on the code. This is before the code, you know, if you will, becomes dirty or negative by, by just being a government rule. This is where anybody and everybody can say, what is the minimum standard of construction that will provide a balance between affordability and safety? And then with that is also design freedom. It's not a best practices guide, right? It's, it's what will society tolerate for human shelter that we think is sufficient for our country as a whole, right? It's almost like 
federal government kind of level, right? But yeah. we know United States, we don't all agree on everything. And that, that's a good thing. That's how our, that's, that helps support the diversity in this country. So all of these experts, non-experts, industry reps, anybody and everyone can come develop this model building code. Now the next level from that becomes the states adopting that model as the authority in their state because building codes are a state regulatory item. And then some states, then they, you can pass it down to local from that point. And so the other, you know, builders, anybody, you can be involved at that level, that meeting of the minds, if you will, where you try to say, here's what we're going to recommend to the governments. Okay. But now you live in Colorado, you live somewhere. Well, when your state is now looking to adopt that next model code, that's another opportunity that I've never seen them close the door on these things. Um, I'm getting into a different discussion, but the governments open that up to the public to come and be a part and critique and make these, you know, suggested amendments or review the amendments that the state is looking at. Uh, and then you can step it down to that next level locally. You know, Colorado is a home rule state. So Denver recently was updating to the newer code. And they opened it completely wide to the public, even for the public to write proposals to change it just for Denver. Um, so there's wow. there's a lot of ways to get involved with that. That's yeah, that's super cool. Um, switching gears for a second. So as a home designer, anybody in the, the trades, really, you drive by and your family's in the car. You're like, oh, I work in the house. I designed the <laughs> house. Um, and there's just like a, a sense of pride that I think comes with it. But totally. for someone that's writing and contributing sections of code, is there a parallel for you? Are you like, oh, I, I wrote that code. Like, that code's awesome. Like what's, what's something that sticks out to you? Yeah. Well, I mean, so I got involved, um, you know, as a code educator and teacher and really trying to help people understand the why behind the code. That's what, that's what, drives my passion in it is 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 really understanding why and helping people understand why well sometimes you discover the why sucks or the why is <laughs> not really well um justified or you find out that the why isn't really well written in the code and people don't understand it and so it's you know it's not really sending the easy message so those are a number of reasons as an educator I got very interested in saying, well, now that I've discovered these problems, you know, I should fix these. And so I got involved with code development uh, in 2012 to so the 2015 International Residential Code, the hearings, the, the, the hearings and the proposals, kind of the activity was happening in 2012, just like now in 2022, we're building the 2024 code. Um, and anyway, I, I was a former deck builder. I came up through the trades from a laborer up frame, framing homes. And then I got into really high-end custom deck construction. And when I became a building inspector, I realized there's really not a lot of codes for decks. The mandatory type codes weren't really written with decks in mind. And then there were no prescriptive design, no cookbook ingredient, no recipe for how to build a deck. Um, so I started in the, for the 2015, 18 and 21 code. And then again, now in the 24 started working with some uh, other interested parties to develop prescriptive deck design codes in section 507 and hands down, 
absolutely hands down that would be the most pride i have because basically everything you see in 507 i was a part of creating um again if i was a part of creating because any code developed by one person is got to be bad code simply just because it didn't have enough collaboration um so yeah. while i was a very big participant in developing those i'm very thankful for all the people that assisted um, and so 507 makes me really proud. And then there's some cool stuff coming up that I made some pretty big changes for 2024 um, that I didn't do. They weren't deck codes. I did them as a just on my own, if you will, that kind of that charity as a professional uh, where I, I really took some difficult subjects that were hard to understand and rewrote the whole thing. And I'm proud to say a couple of them are already going to be that they uh, they're already on the docket for 2024. So is one of them the light and ventilation one? Yes. Yeah. The light and ventilation yeah, awesome. one. Yeah. Cause light and ventilation, natural light and ventilation goes back. You know, I collect vintage code books. You can see some back behind yeah. it. Uh, and you can trace light and ventilation, natural light and ventilation. That was a human need for homes back in, you know, all the way to the 1800s. And, and it was all tied around windows. And it's still the, the way the code's been written has still been all about windows, but now you can do yeah. all light you can do mechanical ventilation you can do all these different things but the way the code presented it it still kind of started with windows and then started making these really weird overlapping exceptions so you know for the first time in 200 years glenn matthewson you know one guy working from home uh rewrote the natural and i separated natural light and natural ventilation i got away from the window being the framework and um that it looks like it's going right on in. So that, that one will be one in the future. I'll be really proud of looking at and knowing, you know, some code like that, there's really no glory. You know, there's no one's going to pay me to do that. There's no benefit to anybody to sell a product or, or see any return on their investment for taking the amount of time it took to develop and see that through the hearings. So it truly is charity. And if people don't do charity like that, the important code changes that don't make anyone money won't get done. And so I have yeah. a sense of pride of that as well, that um, it's almost like if I didn't do it, nobody was going to do it. And, and I yeah. say that not to pump my ego, but to hopefully encourage others to say, look, if you want the code to be better, you know, it, what's the reason for someone to change it? Are they going to make some money doing it? And if that's not what you want, then maybe you're the one that needs to change it because you're going to do it just because it's the right thing to do. I don't know. Are you saying I need to come up with a proposal? <laughs> I'm saying everyone <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, people love to bitch about code, excuse me, but complain. People love to complain about code. I mean, the amount of keyboard warriors and trolls I get after me on social media. Yeah, um, you get a lot. <laughs> and, and it's just like, guys, you know, go do something with that with that idea you have with that creativity with that critique you have go do something with it because all you're doing is yelling to the clouds no one's listening yeah it, the it's funny the light and ventilation one because i think i think a lot of inspectors subconsciously knew it was dated because i rarely ever get asked to put that on plants or to note it or to do any calcs for it and i think um maybe they're just assuming it's, it always passes and it's fine and maybe they know that okay it's kind of dated and i don't really need to check either way like it was a code in the code book that nobody's really paying attention to that's a great thing to adjust and yeah hey let's yeah. do something with it if if people are, literally are ignoring it so that's cool yeah um 
So I'm on a lot of Facebook groups and stuff, and it's usually people building their own houses or going through the building process that don't really know anything. And inevitably, at least a post a day, is some picture of the site. It's either a vet pipe or, you know, something electrical or a framing thing. And they're like, is this to code? <laughs> you know, X, Y, Z. One of them I can remember was the gaps in the roof sheathing for the continuous uh, ridge vent. Um, you know, so how do... How would you recommend a homeowner buying a home they've never built before? They don't, they're not expected to know the code, but how, do, how would you recommend them processing the code and like using it to help them in their build? Okay. Um, multiple thoughts come to mind with that question. So first about, is it to code? Um, let me talk about that. The code is a moving target. It has been, you know, for all of time, right? The code represents society's expectations in construction. Um, you know, the, the model codes are adjust, adjusted every three years. And, you know, some governments will update every three years. And a lot of them wait more like six years and, and kind of skip additions. But here's the thing. You only have to meet code with what society expects expects of construction, right? Code, when you're doing that work. So today, if you wanna build a new car as a car manufacturer, you're gonna have to meet the federal government minimum standards for manufacturing cars. You know, airbags, backup cameras, those are two I know that happen to come to mind. Airbags and then backup cameras as a more recent one. Now, none of my cars have backup cameras. Well, I, I just got a 2016. But before my recent new car, uh, none of my cars had backup cameras. They were built in the time where the federal government didn't make that a minimum requirement for human transportation. And so I can continue to drive that car over and over. I can repair that car and I can keep driving it. And it's a perfectly legal car. That's the same way it works with houses. If your house, I live in a 1958 house. Let me tell you, like half the codes I teach, I don't live in myself. Does that make me a hypocrite? No, it means I don't have the money for a new house. And I don't know if I'd want one. The, the, the lots are too small, five feet on the side anyway. Um, and so that is something people need to understand is that their house only by government rules only needs to be up to code the moment you're doing the construction or building the house. Now, what do I like to teach? Remember that code has value outside of just the government. So like in my house, 1958 house is prior to the receptacle distribution that came in for kitchen countertops, where now you have receptacles all over your countertops. Yeah. Um, it's I suffer. I mean, I want to put my coffee maker in one part of my kitchen and I just can't because I don't have the receptacle there. So I like teaching homeowners to be knowledgeable about their house to say, hey, you know, there are some enhancements. There's things you can do to meet the current code. You're not, but you know, I'm not the government here to make you and to force you. So why don't you learn and see like how this could benefit you in your home? Um, you know, maybe when you remodel your kitchen, you just say, hey, rather than just replace the countertops, uh, let's go ahead and you know, let's add some receptacles. Uh, that's that would be worthwhile. Why don't we follow the guidance in the code? Um, so that's something I like to to make folks realize is don't sh don't shame your house. Your house was built when your house was built. Again, you know, I live in a 1958 house. You can't shame your house worse than my own house. And I'm teaching the latest code. 
The only other thing I want to say on this, and I'm probably going to upset a certain group of your uh, attendees here. I, I tend to find home inspectors sometimes maybe sending a little bit more uh, of a fearful message than I think is appropriate. Um, a lot of home inspectors, they're, they're great. They're learning the greatest and latest safety features and technologies, and that includes learning code. And code establishes what society thinks is the minimum safety that should be in these homes. That's great. I encourage that information and that education. Absolutely. But back to my analogy, if I was not, I don't know anything about cars. I'm not a gearhead, but I got a friend who's been working on cars his whole life, knows everything about cars, totally into cars. And I'm going to go buy a new car or a car for me. And I want my friend's advice on it. If I take him to a 99 Land Cruiser and say, man, this is what's in my budget. This is what I can buy, a 99 Land Cruiser. I don't need my friend to tell me how it doesn't have backup cameras and that's required by the federal government now. Or start telling me and start judging a 99 Land Cruiser mm, yeah. off of the latest federal government requirements. Well, you know, my brand new Tesla has some features this Land Cruiser doesn't have. You should really, you know... Um, no, I know I'm buying a 1958 house. And if I'm buying a 1958 house, I would want a home inspector to help me buy a 1958 house and, and make me aware and ring the bell of hazard to the hazards of a 1958 house. Not, hey, this house is subpar and you should ask for 10 grand off because you're missing receptacle outlets in this part of your kitchen. It's kind of like, well, yeah, man, it's a 1958 house. Yeah. So that's one thing. And I know I upset homeowners, home inspectors a lot. I, hands down, they disagree with me all day. And they will say they need to give the best advice they can to their clients. And I agree with that. But it should be, you know, don't make your client think the 99 Land Cruiser is a piece of junk because you've compared it to a brand new Tesla. Um, compare it to, to a 99 Ford or, a, you know, compare it to others like that and then say it you know has the oil been changed has this car been taken care of um etc so that's something that i think and unfortunately like TikTok is full of home inspectors so many and i'm biting yeah. my tongue left and right because the way that they present they're teaching and they're sharing but they're presenting in very definitive terms and i think they're putting kind of the wrong message into the minds of a lot of homeowners um but anyway that's an opinion of mine yeah, it's that's a really yeah interesting analogy. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I have an old beater truck. It's got crank windows. Every time my kids get in, they're like, "Dad, <laughs> your truck's the worst." I'm like, "No, it's an '04 baby." Yeah, <laughs> not that old, but yeah, <laughs> so fun. Um, okay, so a, a growing trend. There's a lot of people that are, um, with. Costs and everything over the last couple of years have been exploring general contracting their own homes and their own builds. Um, and again, this is the, the same subset that doesn't know anything about the code yet. Uh, you know, hasn't hasn't really absorbed anything. What do what do they need to know to get into it? And what would you how would you recommend they start that journey? Definitely. Um, so as you know, as everyone listening knows, I, I go get I'm a little long winded, and um, so let me start. It's great by for podcasting. 
Okay, good, good. Uh, <laughs> so I got to let, you know, let the ball <laughs> bounce back and forth a little more between us. So sorry. Um, but so here's I'm going to I'm going to start this off in, in maybe a more unexpected way before I get into what what should these uh, what should folks that are self-contracting, you know, work, do it yourself or whatever you want to call it. The first thing I would say is this. Recognize the difference between skill and knowledge. And I say that to all of the trades professionals on the line as well. I have all the respect in the world from you. You have, There is so much skill that you have and that you can teach people and show people construction tips, you know, ways to get a, a good finish on your texture, you know, et cetera. Um, keep that stuff going. Share, share, share that and, sh and share your skills because you're showing off how good you are at what you do. But to the to the homeowners, a lot of them, you know, they go to YouTube and they go and they look at these videos and they're seeing these videos of skill with tips and techniques. Excellent. You, that's you need the skill. But where I feel like people fell short is the knowledge part of it. And that's what I think you get more of with the building code, you know, like talking about plumbing. I've never been a professional plumber before. I can talk about the knowledge of plumbing, the how DWV works, how venting works, the actual physics, the science behind it, the water distribution, the friction in the pipes, the, you know, how you get pressure versus velocity versus flow at the, all of that. But you want to, do not ask me to sweat a joint of copper. There's not a chance. I'm going to buy the shark bites. Okay. Like, you yeah. know, I don't have that skill. You want to see my PVC going to be purple pipe primer is going to be dripping everywhere. It'll be puddled on the floor. Okay. I don't have the skill. And so it's important for everyone to respect that the code people and the knowledge, the architects, the engineers, the code professionals in recognizing that we don't have the skill. These people got the skill. And then the skill people may be recognizing, hey, I can't learn some of this knowledge just necessarily in the field from Bill, who learned it from Bob, who learned it from Tony. That's how you learn how to sweat a great copper joint. Got to go and get the knowledge. And so to the homeowners, so many of them will just simply seek to pick up the skill. They get building permits. I, again, as 13 years in the as a code authority, I've been to so many homeowner do-it-yourselfer jobs. And often their skills sometimes, it, it, the finished product sometimes comes out better than professionals because they spent four days doing it, you know, so it was literally yeah, perfect, yeah. Um, you know, more perfect than it needed to be. But yet there'll be some glaring issue in simply the knowledge part of it. Um, so that's what I would encourage them. The International Residential Code Get government out of your mind. Okay, you're doing your basement illegally on the weekends with no permit because you hate the government. Fine. I'm still want to teach you. I still believe the IRC has value to you. So you can go to iccsafe.org and you can read all of the I codes going back to 2000 when the organization first started publishing. You can read all the codes for free. Don't go to these other companies that are pirating their copyrighted information. There's another one that'll come up when you Google, but go right to the source, go to codes.iccsafe.org and there you can access the codes. Um, and then of course you can go to educators like myself, buildingcodecollege.com. That's my website where I put out on-demand education as well as live webinars, um, it, specific right now to the residential code. Um, but there are obviously other providers as well and I would just encourage the do-it-yourselfers, 
to recognize both of those aspects, skill and knowledge, and that it may not come from the same uh, the same provider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, last question for you. Um, I, I kind of feel like we're in alignment on this, but I want to hear your thoughts. Um, I hear the when I hear this question, it usually comes in the fr the forming of homes are too tight now. They're making them too tight, all these, these stupid new codes. But it's the big picture question is like, if if the 80s house or the 60s house was fine and they're still standing and nobody's dying, why do we need a new code every few years? Why, why do we keep adding stuff to it? Um, I mean, you've already answered some of it, but again, I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I said already, code follows the expectations of society and societal expectations are changing all the time. Um, you know, we, we can see that, not, you know, you can see expectations of the Gen X generation versus expectations of the Gen Z generation. I'm just saying they're different. We have different expectations of society and lifestyle and whatnot. And so if you can see that just in societal things, well, clearly that's going to come up in code as well. Um, like I can see in a way, I, you know, I tend to see society moving towards more collective safety and less independent freedom. I'm just, that's just an observation that I see. Um, maybe I see that because I tend to lean the other way into um, more personal responsibility and less collective freedom or safety. But you know, what I do tend to see is that an increase in collective safety and less independent responsibility. And with that in society, I see that same exact thing being a trend in building codes where building codes are coming in and protecting more. And again, that more protection from a third party is going to be mean more individual or less individual choice. That's just that's just the facts of how these scales work. OK. Um, and so that's one thing that I see that no matter whether someone like me, some you know old fashioned guy wants the way I see things, it doesn't matter if society is moving in that direction, then then we're going to see the codes moving in that direction. And so some folks that might be like, I want it the way it was 30 years ago. They probably want a lot of things in society the way they were 30 years ago. And so naturally, <laughs> yeah. they're going to see that in the codes as well. And again, I'm not, please, I'm not judging any. I'm just making very general observations of kind of human nature and society. Um, yeah. you know, here's where I'll, I may piss someone off, but this is the truth of what I see in teaching codes for as long as I have to as many diverse groups as I have, you know, not just code professionals. When you're talking to the contractors about code, the codes that they think are incredibly minimal, hack work, right? You know, code is just D minus work. It's the worst you can build and still be legal. We've all heard the sayings. Yeah. Those codes are the ones that the builder knows they're doing things better than. And since they already know they're doing better type of work, they laugh at those codes and they call it hack work and D minus work and the worst you can build. But then that same builder sees another code that's not what they're doing. That might be more than what they're doing. And then now suddenly the argument changes to, 
well, I've been doing it 30 years this way and there's no problems with this. And this is just stupid government intrusion. And it's just the lobbyists making the code. And I will literally like the same argument will come out of the same person's mouth. And I just feel like they're not being true to themselves and they're not really being fair to say, am I, am I judging the code just individually or is my judgment of the code a comparative judgment to the, what I'm currently doing? Right. Because so many people, unfortunately, you know, I think this is another sign of our times already know it all. We have we are getting very close minded, like we need more open minds to say, hey, that codes a lot less than what I do. Cool. Now I now I know where I'm at, you know, or well, that code is harder than what I do. Well, maybe I should to should look into that and to see if maybe something's changed. Maybe someone came up with a better idea than what I'm doing. But unfortunately, that sometimes that open mindedness um, and that self reflection doesn't doesn't come into play. <laughs> That's a very diplomatic way of, of putting it. But yeah, I agree. Trying to keep myself um, out of trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> you do a great job at it. There's a um, lot we can all learn in the code. Let's just say that. Period. And we yeah. got to knock the chip off our shoulders sometimes, you know, um, or you just you're blocking your own self from growth and from learning. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm really big into board games. And when I first started diving into the code, especially the building planning section, like when I first started designing, I'm like, oh, this is the, the rule book. Like, I didn't know I could do this, this and this now. Let's let's explore that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think if people went into the code book with like, this is the rule book of how to play the game. Um, and, you know, whoever reads the rules usually wins, right? Um, just read it and see see how it, it jogs your mind and stuff. Because, yeah, I, I think it's, like you say, Glenn, there's much more, it's much more freedom given it than we think. Yeah. Um, it's more it's more of a helpful tool than that. So, yeah. Well, I, yeah, and I mean, you say freedom. That's one of the lines that I always use, like, in my videos and stuff. And I think it, it I like it. I have to make a bumper sticker. But... Basically saying, you know, the line of minimum code is the same line of maximum freedom. And when you stop and think about that, it's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm better than minimum. You know, I'm a quality builder. I don't need to learn minimum code. All right, then don't phrase it that way. You're a professional builder. This is your profession. You need to serve, you know, look at the code as saying, okay, the code represents the line of my maximum freedom. Everything is my choice. What I want to do right for my consumer based on their budget, their needs, their desire, and my experience. And what's the limit of my freedom? Right there, it's minimum code. But you got to look at it in the positive light, not in the negative light. Um, yeah. And that's make a, that a shirt, I'll wear it on TikTok for you, so. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing with TikTok, I want to bring up one perfect example of that maximum freedom. I did a video about any any framer when they take their four by eight sheets, a wood structural panel, and they're sheathing the roof, rafters or trusses, they're going to stagger the joints of the sheathing. You know, so like one row, you have your end pieces end to end. The next yeah. row, you would stagger over on a different rafter. And I did a video saying, is that code? And then I basically reveal how it's not required in code to stagger those joints. And at the end of the video, I explain like, okay, look, I know any decent framer, it's a better build, you get better weave, better, you know, better overall diaphragm to overlap it. Um, but 
maybe you're on a roof and you're coming into a valley and it's like one last small piece and you've got a scrap piece of OSB right there that fits. Now, you know, even as a good builder, like put it in, it's not going to hurt anything, you know, you, it, yeah. maybe if you want to, but at least now, you know, yeah, I've staggered all these joints, but this is really, this glass piece fits. I, I can confidently put it in and know as a professional, that was my freedom to do that. Um, you know, and, but a lot of framers got offended. Like I was trying to suggest that they don't stagger joints anymore. And that, you know, that's where it's like, you got to look at code through a different lens. Yeah. Right. Well, cool. Glenn, thanks so much for being here today. Um, where can people find you and follow along with what you're doing? Yeah. Well, uh, you can get lots of great education from me at buildingcodecollege.com. The first video of all of my on-demand courses is completely free. You don't even have to sign up. You just click the thumbnail. You know, I, I didn't funnel you in good and make you sign up or anything. And some of these videos could be up to 40 minutes long. So it's not like you're just getting, you know, the first five minutes. You're getting a complete first video of my on-demand education. Uh, but then I'd love for you to connect with me on social media, on Instagram, and TikTok, I'm under uh, buildingcodecollege.com. And then you can also find me on uh, LinkedIn and on Facebook, both as Glenn Mathewson and buildingcodecollege.com, uh, either way. Awesome, thanks again, Glenn. And I'm not on TikTok because obviously, you know, I would have trouble with the character count and the word count on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean Twitter? Oh, Twitter. Yeah, sorry. That's yeah. what I meant. Uh, Twitter. Like, I can never do Twitter because I'm not that short-spoken. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, great. Um, yeah, you have a great day, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for being here again. If you want to connect, um, best places are probably social and or email on my website. So the socials, I am at Burnham Design Co., B-I-R-N-A-M Design C-O, on TikTok and Instagram. And then I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook at Adam Steiner. Um, Burnham Design Co. is on YouTube as well. Or just hit, up, hit me up on the website, sign up on one of those forums. I literally see them all. So my website is burnhamdesign.com. Um, and if you want to check out today's show sponsor, the guide I've put together, that's roomlayoutguide.com. Thanks again for listening. Have an awesome day. And thanks, as always, to Andrew Michael Metter for the music. Mm -hmm.